0: Today's scripture reading comes from Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins." But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretations. And the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, There is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right, you guys have a seat. Thank you, Allison. Allison Bynum, one of our uh, worship leaders on Sunday. You guys know her. I'm thankful that she... Read to us today. Uh, good morning. Um, I'm gonna try to preach another sermon. The, that baptism over there was a sermon in itself, and so uh, I'm gonna try to follow that up. Open up those Bibles to Daniel two. Um, if you missed last week, or weren't here, or maybe you're visiting today for the first time, we we uh, we begin a new series called Bold in Babylon. And if you did miss it, you can jump back online, go to the app. Uh, catch up with us. It's really important that you do that, not only to to stay with us, but also I want to encourage you to be uh, walking through this individually, this entire book of Daniel. Be going through that individually, maybe even with your group, uh, going to someone uh, after lunch or after church on Sunday, going to lunch, talking through all these things. There's so many things to cover and we just simply do not have time to cover all of these things on Sunday. Also, a side note, that LifePoint Church is going to be starting a podcast uh, in a few weeks where uh, the campus pastors will get together and we'll kind of chew and, and and talk about the things that we didn't get to cover on Sunday. So stay tuned for that. We'll give you more information as we get uh, kind of moving. Uh, there's probably a, no more a, a better timely book for us to be going through as a church than the book of Daniel, because Daniel, like Like Daniel, we too are exiles. We too uh, are are in a foreign land, sojourners, in a very uh, Babylon-like world. This is not our home. And we said last week to take comfort because we know that God has put us here, that God is with us here. God will use us here until God delivers us from here. But the reality of it is, it's hard here. (laughs) It's really, really hard here. Babylon is a corrupt and a twisted world that opposes God and his word. Babylon seeks to isolate us from our God, isolate us from our church, from gathering. Babylon itself is an empire of lies that seeks to indoctrinate us with its own worldview on matters like what is truth, over matters of sexual ethics, over politics, over gender, over marriage, money, the roles of men and women, racial theories like CRT. Babylon tries to shape our minds through politics, media, and messaging. It's, just, it's an assault on us all day long, trying to get us to think certain ways, to act certain ways, to talk certain ways. It even promotes self identification or self promotion. Be you, do you. That's the culture of Babylon and we breathe in that air every day. But like Daniel, we must choose. We must make the decision that we will not be defiled by it. That we will be distinct from it. We will be bold in Babylon. That's our that's our series title. That's what we're championing. Be bold in Babylon. Now, studying Daniel will show us, as a church, that being bold in Babylon does not mean that we become these bitter, angry curmudgeons or conspiracy theorists who hate the state. That's not what being bitter means, or being bold means. staying away from the world, building a fortress around us. That's not what being bold means. Being bold means. We are in the world, and we refuse to blush over our beliefs. We will humbly submit ourselves to be incredible witnesses to the goodness and the grace of God in the hopes that we might win people to Christ. That's what being bold looks like. And so for the next 10 weeks, we are really going to unpack more of that, of what it means to be bold in Babylon. Let me ask you this question before we get started on today's chapter. Have you ever heard of the term night terrors before? A lot of heads shaking. Kids probably had some night terrors. The Mayo Clinic defines uh, night terrors as these sleep disorder episodes where a person experiences this uncontrollable fear, uh, even fighting, kicking, screaming, Uh, all the while eyes wide open but technically still asleep. Millions of people experience these things every single year. Uh, again, children probably more frequently. And so I remember when my, my daughters, Mariana and Maddie, Mariana, by the way, as she's the artist and the creative of the church, she designs all these things that we do. Uh, but Mariana and my oldest daughter, Maddie, when they were young, they, they experienced these crazy night terrors. I remember one week, there was this recurring... Uh, they each had these episodes of these recurring night terrors. Now, this was in our BC days, by the way, as our parenting. That's before Christ. And so these terrors could have come from my wife showing them things like uh, Freddy Krueger and the ring. And so... <laughs> but there was this week... And I remember Mariana Mariana just had these night She literally was screaming uncontrollably Underneath her bed Thinking that someone was breaking into the house And coming to, to take us all She was just And I couldn't do anything there was nothing that I could say or do to calm her down. She was irrational and inconsolable. My daughter Maddie had, had the same thing, a recurring dream for a week, and spiders were out to they were all over. She just she just felt spiders were all over and it's just as a parent, you probably see this is so terrifying. There's absolutely nothing that you can do to bring peace or calm your child down when they're experiencing a night terror. But, but praise be to God, we know these things pass because they, they weren't reality. These things were not reality. Chapter two in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, we are told he experiences a dream, but it's really more like a night's terror. And it is different. For Nebuchadnezzar, it is a reality this dream represents a reality so it's it's similar but it's also different god was sending a message through nebuchadnezzar god is sending a message to all of us today through this dream let's dial in i want to know what this dream is right don't you in this we're going to see two things today we're going to see a bad dream And we're going to see a bold promise. So look at those two things together today. Allison read one through nine, really the context of what we're seeing today in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. This is just after last week he had sacked Jerusalem and then he looted the Lord's people and all of their treasure, took them out of Babylon. And here now you have Nebuchadnezzar, king of the free world, living his best life in Babylon. Babylon. Chapter two opens though in the second year of his reign, he's having recurring dreams. Recurring dreams, waking up every night in a bath of sweat and fear. We're told in the text that his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Now, we don't get the full description of Nebuchadnezzar's dream till verses thirty-one through thirty-five. So for right now, here's what he dreamed. The summary says it was like a metallic monster. And it had gold and silver and bronze and iron. And then at the end, there was this stone that crushed and destroyed the metallic monster. Let's just kind of call it that for right now. But this dream, it consumed him. It was problematic during the day and it was paralytic at night. He could find no peace. Why did this dream caused so much turmoil in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Because in the ancient world, there was a belief that what happened in a person's dream would become a reality. In all of their demonic and polytheistic uh, religion, that's how they believed. The gods spoke through people through their dreams. And so this was really important because what happened in the king's dream would impact everybody in the kingdom, right? And if the king could find out what the dream meant, perhaps he could do something about it before it happened. Perhaps he could counteract the dream. So that's what's happening here. And so what does the king do? He calls for all of his his people. He calls for the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans. He calls for the dream team. All right. So he calls them together. He's got to find out what this means they all come in they stand before him and after they cry out to him oh king live forever they're praising him and all these things then they begin to panic why do they panic because Nebuchadnezzar not only wants to know the interpretation of the dream he says now I want you to tell me the dream too he wanted to know that his team of counsel was legit and they weren't going to fake up and make up some kind of story that couldn't be verified he says if you can't tell me the dream and its interpretation i'm going to tear you limb from limb and i'm going to destroy all of your homes nice king this guy right now even the pagan magicians enchanters and chaldeans knew this was an impossible task Let's look at their response to these requests from the king. Daniel 2, 10-11, he says this. There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. Underline this. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now, We can be certain upon hearing this news, Nebuchadnezzar found no peace. Spirit troubled, didn't go away. I think it's important to kind of pause here for just a moment for a couple of things of application that I think are important for us. There's nothing on earth, there's no one on earth that can predict the future. There is no fortune cookie there is no horoscope and there is no demonic ouija board not even a charismatic preacher who says i have a vision from the lord no one no thing on the face of the earth can predict the future the only place we ever know what's going to happen in the future is when the god of the bible reveals it to us the one whose dwelling is not with flesh. That's the first thing I see here. The second thing I think is, Daniel wants us to see that although Babylon looks good, feels good, and promises much, it can never actually deliver on its promises. There's a futility and a vanity Babylon. Think about Nebuchadnezzar for just a moment. Again, king of the free world. He's he's got all the wealth, the power, the influence, the popularity. He has everything his heart desires. I mean, there's not one possession that he can't say mine. He He has everything, and yet that guy is reduced to a terrified troubled insomniac over the fear of the future it's because that's not what his greatest need is so he's in a panic how easy it is to frighten those outside of christ think of some of the greatest celebrities in the world they have everything in the world but they're terrified over the future how easy it is to terrify people outside of christ lord just didn't want the jews in exile to see this this is something that he wants to see in christians who live in babylon today you see babylon promises us a lot of things too it promises us money and power and influence and popularity It even boasts in uh, liberation, progressive thoughts. like, Like it promises all of these things. We're so advanced and you Christians are so archaic and we have evolved. That's what Babylon promises us. And yet today it has not produced more happy people. You know that today people are more stressed and depressed and full of anxiety and depression than ever before? It's because Babylon will never ever satisfy the longing of our souls. It will never bring true peace and it will never bring true satisfaction. Only the religion of Christianity and a relationship with God Through Christ will you find eternal peace and satisfaction for your soul and what true happiness is. Let's get back to the story. Again, the king's angry. Again, angry. So he sends out these execution orders kill all the wise men. Kill all the Chaldeans, kill all the magicians, kill all the enchanters, because they can't deliver. But here's the problem. Our main characters in the story are on the hit list. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. After being appointed to the king's wise men back in Daniel one seventeen, God gave them a promotion, right? And now this is what they get for their promotion? Thanks, God. Right? So they're on the chopping block now. Daniel hears word of the king's desires. And so he goes to his companions. He goes to his companions to seek and pray to get help from the God of heaven. Prayer It's not just an activity in the church. It is a mark of the bold. So here in this very terrifying state, what does Daniel do first and his companions? They don't freak out and start to scheme up a plan. They just go to the God of heaven in prayer. It's a great step. God heard their prayer. In the middle of the night, God gave Daniel the vision and the and dream and the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He busts out in this unbelievable praise in verses 20 through 23, which really is a sermon by himself or by itself. After he gets this revelation, he goes in 24 and 25. He calls Arioch, who is the captain uh, the chief guard or really the chief executioner of Nebuchadnezzar and says, Hey, hold up. Don't kill everybody. Please don't do this. I have the dream. I have the interpretation. Take me before the king. So Ariok takes him to the king. And now we, we eavesdrop in on the conversation between the king and Daniel in verse 26 to 28. Let's look at it. The king says this to Daniel. Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in latter days. So, Daniel, what he really does here is he echoes everything that the, the Chaldeans, the enchanters, and the magicians have already said. He says, you're right. No, 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 no one on the earth can interpret this, this dream. He echoes that. But then God, Dan, Daniel says, but there is a God in heaven who can. In the face of impossibility, Daniel says... There is a God in heaven, and he is the God of the impossible. There is a God in heaven. Now, that statement, there is a God in heaven, is too profound to just kind of blow past on the way to lunch this morning. This has incredible implications in our life. This is a central statement, not only to the book, to our very lives In the moments in our lives when you can't make sense of something, when your abilities are tapped out, your strength is faded, your mind is filled with anxiety and worry over the future, remember there is a God in heaven. When you... Keep struggling in that same sin over and over and over again, and you have tried in all of your pragmatic ways to kill this sin in your life. You need to remember there is a God in heaven. When someone has hurt you, when you have had conflict with someone, even in the church, and you say, There's no way that I could ever ever forgive them there's no way reconciliation could ever happen remember there is a god in heaven when your marriage is being tested and you look at your spouse you say they'll never change there's no hope divorce is the only only option Reconciliation is an impossibility. You need to remember there is a God in heaven. When you're walking through cancer or a disease and it doesn't look good, you need to remember there is a God in heaven. When you're raising your children, you're doing everything right, worshiping at home and family you're coming to church you're doing all the things you're supposed to be and yet you still have fear I don't know if they're saved I don't know how they're going to turn out I don't know if they'll ever be able to survive and thrive in Babylon remember the God who is in heaven when you have a prodigal who has walked away from the Lord, who's not walking with the Lord. And you've done everything in your power to woo them back. And it seems as if they would return is an impossibility. Remember, there is a God in heaven. In your home, in your life, and the things that you stress, worry, even obsess over in those moments, take heart and remember that there is a God in heaven and he does the impossible let's get back to the story daniel goes on to explain the dream of course and the interpretation to the king let's look at it in verses 31 through 35 you saw o king and behold a great image this image mighty and exceeding brightness stood before you and its appearance was frightening the head of its image was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you look, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces. And it became like the chaff on the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Church, underline that. Here, Daniel not only downloads the dream, he goes on and gives the interpretation. In verses 37 through 45, again, we don't have time to go through all of his interpretation. But at this point, for Nebuchadnezzar, this is a bad dream. But in this dream also contains a promise for the bold. Those who are willing to be bold in Babylon, there is a bold promise that we have just seen in this dream. A bold promise. He begins to explain this picture to Nebuchadnezzar. Here, O king, you are in the dream, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the one that God has given you the power, the dominion, the authority, your kingdom in Babylon. Your head, your kingdom, that's the gold image. All right, so he's telling Nebuchadnezzar, you and your kingdom, you are the gold in this metallic monster in the head of the statue. Then he goes on to describe the rest of this metallic monster. Now, most people... Uh, would believe that these next three uh, representations of, of of silver, bronze, and iron represent future kingdoms that will come after Babylon. So most would say that the silver uh, chest and arms were the Medo Persian Empire. The middle of the statue and its thighs, the bronze would represent Greece. And then the iron legs, which trampled uh, the Greeks, would be the worst empire of them all, Rome. All right? Now, we could speculate here all day on all of these mysteries of what does this bronze... We could do that all day long. And listen, if you want to do that at lunch, go have fun. We ain't going to do that here. What we are going to do here is we are going to see... That the point of this passage is not the gold, it is not the silver, it is not the bronze, and it is not the iron, but it is the stone. The stone is the point of this passage. As Daniel says, the stone shatters them all and becomes a mountain that fills the earth. Church, spoiler alert. Jesus is the stone. (laughs) Jesus is the stone. He is the virgin-born Savior, not cut by human hands. He's the rock of all of the ages who will eventually, in final glory, when he comes back, He will deliver the final blow, the crushing blow, to all kingdoms and all people who oppose him. Jesus is the plain thing and the main thing in this passage. Look at Acts 4, 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Psalm 2, 8 through 9. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. In the ends of the earth, your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Jesus is the plain thing and the main thing in this chapter. He always is. So let me just kind of, summarize what Daniel just said to the king and what really Daniel just said to us. Telling him why he was counting sheep, but he tells us these things while we're wide awake today. I'm the one who sets up kings and removes them. I establish nations and tear them down. I put presidents in office and politicians in seats. I'm in control. I hold it all. I'm the God in heaven, and every kingdom of the earth that opposes me will one day be dashed to pieces and swept away by the kingdom of my son. This dream and this interpretation is sure. Church, that is not a dream, that is reality. This is a reality. And I love how this wraps up after receiving this word, Just a little weird. Like you, you think that Nebuchadnezzar would hear that and be like, I'm doomed, right? But he's so hard hearted, he doesn't even get it. And so what does he do? Nebuchadnezzar just fell on his face and started to bless Daniel. Oh, I'm gonna give you another promotion. He starts to bless him. He says, truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings? We'll see later. That was a fake profession, by the way. They even had fake professions back then. People who said one thing but then did another thing, right? So they get promoted. Everything seems really good, right? We got to come back next week to see how it ends up. (laughs) What do we do with this passage? What do we do with this chapter I believe in this, there really are two responses. Um, for, for some, this, this bad dream does represent their future reality. I believe that this passage says that one day, all people, all systems... Cities, kings, kingdoms, everyone who opposes God, opposes God's word, and rejects the gift of Jesus Christ, they will be crushed by the stone. That means ISIS, Islam, Buddhism, every single form of religion outside of Christianity will be crushed. That means every system that opposes God. This means the LGBTQ alphabet army will be crushed one day. Hollywood, it means that people, even the Christless conservative will be crushed. Don't blow past stuff like that right now in our hyper-political culture. Even the Christless conservative will be crushed. Christless liberal will be crushed. Even the moral person who thinks that they can be good enough to get to heaven will be crushed. This is a bad dream that will become a reality. But for the bold, for those who believe in the stone. Jesus Christ, this is a bold promise. This is a bold promise that even though it may seem hard, even though it may give off the appearance that we're losing, that one day Jesus Christ will return and he will deliver the final crushing blow to all Of his enemies, and he will set up his rule and reign forever and ever. Church, this is where the boldness comes from, by the way. This whole series, be bold. Well, it doesn't come by me looking in the mirror and saying, RC, be bold. It comes from looking at the stone who is Christ and the ending. And what it's going to look like. This is what makes me feel like a conqueror. We're not captives. We're conquerors. This is where our boldness comes from by looking at Christ who is the stone. But here's the reality as we sum up the response here. Daniel 2 teaches us that Jesus Christ for all people on the face of the earth will either be a crushing stone or a crucified Savior. Only two options. And here's where it all starts. It starts with us acknowledging that the Bible says that all of us deserve to be crushed. Every single one of us deserves to be crushed by the stone. Not just those people, me. I deserve to be crushed by the stone. I've not been perfectly bold. I don't know about you In your life. Have you been perfectly bold? Bashful describes me or bitter describes me. That's me. I don't know about you, but our sin against the holy God has earned us the penalty Of being crushed forever and ever. But the good news of the gospel, always the good news of the gospel, is that God has made a way, only one way, for me to be saved and not be crushed by Jesus. It's by believing in the cornerstone who is Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection by me giving my life to him in a beautiful surrender and bowing down to the lordship of him over my life. That's the only way, church. So the question for you today is who is Jesus to you? Is he your crucified savior? Because if he's not your crucified savior, he will be the crushing stone you might say hey that, that that's a little bit hey what are you doing hellfire brings some stuff here hey i'm just reading the text <laughs> it's right here this is a warning it's a warning to nebuchadnezzar he didn't listen will you this is the god of the bible There's so a lot of ways that we can go with this church. I'm going to ask you that question. I want you to reflect on where you are in your relationship with the stone today. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to continue to worship. Father, you have taught us this morning. God, these are your people. They're not my people. They're your people. And this is not my word. This is your word. It's not about my glory. It's about your glory. So God, use this today in your perfect word to change hearts, to draw someone in and bow down to the crucified Savior. God, use this to embolden Your church in Babylon, only through you, only through your spirit in us can we accomplish these things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.